Hello and welcome to our Christmas special episode of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any elements that have parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm filmmaker and one of the three wise men, Giles Goff. And I'm photographer and Santa's elf got rogue, Phil Coleman. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. Yeah, I quite liked that. I quite liked that. And during this time of Christmas calamity, we wanted to give you a little present. This isn't season two. That's coming, and it's a belter. We're covering a wide range of films, from classic cinema gems to contemporary agitprop joints, gritty realist drama, and high fantasy blockbusters. But today, we'll be sticking our film geek hats on to analyse It's a Wonderful Life, the 1946 classic starring Donna Reed and the inimitable Jimmy Stewart, Tom Hanks' spirit animal. <laughs> Phil, you watched this. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Phil, you watched this recently. What did you think of this film? It, it's a trick. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I just watched it and I was crying. And <laughs> there were there were emotions I haven't felt in a long time. And it's yeah. just, it's it's a trick, man. In all seriousness, it, it, it is one of the most beautifully human stories that you can mm. possibly watch that, that's ever been committed to film. And, and like, you've got Jimmy Stewart there, who I've realised I could just, watch perform every single thing all day like yeah. jimmy stewart in marvel's daredevil for example <laughs> or like you know I'll, I'll watch i'll watch jimmy stewart in 24 instead of jack bauer <clears throat> you know what i mean like just anything i'll watch jimmy stewart with it in it because he's just so captivating as an actor this is the, oh, the, the thing that's a bit mental if if you like me did a, a film studies uh, degree and vertigo was on your required reading where he's this sort of twisted dark obsessed man and and you then work backwards and you see wholesome Jimmy Stewart, you know? So yeah, you see, you see sort of like Jimmy, light Jimmy Stewart and then you've got yeah. extremely heavy Jimmy Stewart. Definitely, you know? Oh, man. It, I, honestly, I just, yeah, that film is just one of the most beautiful things that you yeah. can watch. It's so, it's so life-affirming. Absolutely. You know, it's brilliant. So I watched this film uh, recently again and found myself in tears again. The mo- the moment where she says she the woman says she can get by on $17.50 until the next week had me welling up. And the moment where George Bailey hugs his younger son always, well, I say always gets me, but since I've become a father, that bit hits just that little oh, yeah. bit more. Very, very soon from the time of recording this in about a month's time, mm-hmm. I'll be a dad. And, yeah. Um, yeah, just watching it, that for me as well, like just, just, I'm not even a dad yet. And I was You're, just like, no, no, ah. let's, let's be clear on a few things. You are definitely a dad. All the moment is later in a month's time, your kid will become detachable. You know, that's ah, the, right. that's, oh, no, okay. that's that the only difference. Just detachable yeah. from the from the sort of the um, the life support, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a weird way of putting it, that actually, now I no, think absolutely. about it. But... Did, you, did you know that this film was, is Dave Lister from Red Dwarf's favourite film? No, but of course it is. Uh, and, <laughs> I don't know why I, I think that's completely And I don't obvious, mean but... I don't mean the, the actor Craig Charles, I mean the character. In the, the character, in the, yeah, yeah. In the books, like, Dave Lister spends so much time just watching... Um, um, 
watching It's a Wonderful Life, and in his sort of better than life thing, he is George Bailey, you know, and it's it's fantastic. I need to know? rewatch Red Dwarf. That that's that's another thing that's yeah. just such a great piece of television because it's just so expansive Absolute, in all this topic. Absolute absolute televisual anyway. comfort food. Anyway, <laughs> without further ado, let's hear Phil's facts. Right. Okay. So, It's a Wonderful Life is a 1946 American Christmas fantasy drama film. It's got so many titles. Uh, <laughs> produced and directed by Frank Caffra, based on the short story and booklet The Greatest Gift, which Philip Van Doren Stern published in 1943. I did not know it was based on a, a short story. Neither did I until I started looking this up. I was like, oh. I'll be honest, listeners, with pretty much every film I watch, I'm there with IMDb reading along as I, as I go into the trivia section. With any film that we cover on this, I deliberately don't read the IMDb section because otherwise Phil would be reading out the facts and I'd be like, uh huh, yeah, yeah, I know. You're going to put me out of a job if you do that. You know? yeah. if, anything, if anything, I owe a lot to IMDb, so, so if y'all, y'all want to do any sponsorships? So I, <laughs> no, I'm I, I'm I deliberately don't don't read the uh, the IMDb trivia section, so I can learn things at the same time as you guys, and it's killing me. Well, I've got plenty of facts for you. Okay, so awesome. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. you'll learn something, at least one thing new. Go for it. So. For the scene that required Donna Reed to throw a rock through the window of the Granville house, director Frank Capra hired a marksman to shoot it out on cue. Mm -hmm. To everyone's amazement, Reed broke the window by herself. She had played baseball in high school and had a very strong throwing arm. Donna Reed don't play, yo. No, you you don't mess with Donna Reed. (laughs) (laughs) See, ever since I was a kid, I've had no hand-eye coordination to speak of. In fact, I've never had any any decent hand-eye coordination. That's why it took me years to find running, because... It's one of the few sort of physical activities that doesn't require you to catch and throw. But when I see somebody, someone able to sort of throw something accurately, it's like, that is a superpower, you know? It's like, it's wow, you're the throwing man. <laughs> so, next fact. As Uncle Billy drunkenly leaves the Bailey home, it sounds as if he stumbles into some trash cans on the sidewalk. In fact, a crew member dropped a large tray of props right after Thomas Mitchell went off screen. James Stewart started laughing, and Mitchell quickly improvised, I'm all right, I'm okay. Director Frank Capra decided to use this take in the final cut and gave the stagehand a $10 bonus for improving the sound. And now for context, $10 in 1946 is equivalent to nearly $132 as of 2019, which it's not a bad bonus just for dropping a couple of bins, you know what I mean? So If any of our listeners really enjoy sort of satirical stuff like The Onion... I check out the mm. Onion Film Standard and their review of It's a Wonderful Life there where the reviewer just goes off on one at Uncle Billy. To be fair, Uncle Billy needs needs talking to. You know yeah. what I mean? To be honest, I think he just needs two paracetamol and a nap. You know what I mean? He'll <laughs> be okay. <laughs> Okay, so next, uh, next, uh, next fact. So Jimmy Stewart, uh, he was nervous about the phone kiss scene because it was his first on-screen kiss since his return to Hollywood after being in World War Two, which I heard mm. was quite traumatic. <laughs> um, so, so <laughs> under director Frank Capra's watchful eye. Stewart filmed the scene in only one unrehearsed take, and it worked so well that part of the embrace was actually cut because it was too passionate to pass the censors at the time. Wouldn't have got past the Hayes Code, is that right? Would not have passed the uh, Hayes slash production code, whichever you want to call it, it's the same. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you uh, remember in um, in the film Notorious, there was a particular rule in the Hayes Code that said a kiss couldn't last any longer than, like, five seconds or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, I've so, heard about that. So Hitchcock gets past that in the film Notorious with Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant by just having the, like, take four-second kiss, then take a breath, then take another long kiss, just all these multiple kisses like that. 
You know, yeah. what, you know, you know what it is like restriction breeds creativity, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the gym floor that opens up in the middle to reveal the swimming pool underneath, you know, like the dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was filmed at Beverly Hills High School in Beverly Hills, California, and was is a real thing. It does actually open up, and it's still in use today. Nice. While filming the scene in which George prays in the bar, Jimmy Stewart was so overcome that he began to sob. Frank Capra le- later reframed and blew up the shot because he wanted to catch the expression on, on Jimmy Stewart's face. And this is why the shot looks so grainy compared to the rest mm. of the film. I mean, if Frank 4K. Capra had 4K resolution, that would have made his day. Yeah, you know? the Frank Capra's just there like, do we not have any bigger film? No, sorry, sorry. They don't invent 4K for another 60, 70 years yet, Frank. Like, oh, okay, right, okay. So films made prior to this one used cornflakes painted white for the falling snow effect. Mm-hmm. Now, because cornflakes were so loud, dialogue had to be dubbed in later. Frank Capra wanted to record the sound live because it's Frank Capra and he, you know, he don't care. Yeah. So a new snow effect was developed using a chemical called foamite, which is a firefighting chemical, soap and water. The mixture was then pumped at high pressure through a wind machine to create the silent falling snow. 6,000 gallons of the new snow was used in the film. The RKO effects department received a class three scientific or technical award from the Academy of Motion Picture arts and sciences for the development of the new film snow awesome. which is you don't you don't realize these things had a genesis and also i didn't realize that it was fake snow the thing about filmmaking that's both great and maddening is you've always got to keep pushing the boundaries don't you like you've always got to learn new things which then takes you on to the next thing which on takes you on to the thing after that if you never stop learning there's always something there's always a new avenue to take yeah it's just uh, that little bit better than the last one you know yeah it's... and it just i take great pride in just get making things a little bit better so so in the post-production photo of all the cast and crew, Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra appear twice. Once on the far left and another time on the far right. As it was slow-taking panoramic uh, pictures at the time, they ran to the other end before the pan reached that point. <laughs> Which just sounds like such a, such a, such a boyish, childish, cute little thing. And I just think it's so cute. So Mr. Potter, obviously, mm-hmm. in the film... I mean, uh, stick never... a terrible wig on that guy, and that's Donald Trump, isn't it? Pretty much. Although he's like, it's like, it's like Donald Trump. If Donald Trump looked just like Winston Churchill, do you know what I mean? Looks just like Winston Churchill. Anyway, Mr. Potter is never caught as the thief who embezzled the $8,000, which he apparently gets to keep. Now, this was very unusual for a Hollywood film of the time. Now, going back to the Hayes Code here. Yeah. The, as the, the Motion Picture Production Code, probably known as the Hayes Code, uh, required that criminals must always be shown to be either punished or made to repent at the end of every film. So I'm not sure how that one got past the censors. That's really interesting, that. Actually, yeah, because yeah, it... it, it it literally does just break that. But still, it, yeah. it was it was released, and lots of people have seen it. So I think we can just yeah. headcanon it to a point where Mr. Potter is is sort of going along, and his his helper just lets go of him momentarily, and he just yeah. like falls down the stairs in his wheelchair. I, I, you know, I just hope, I just hope he scrapes his knee. At the very least. The set for Bedford Falls was constructed in two months and was the longest set that would ever been made for an American movie. It covered four acres of RKO's Encino Ranch. It included 75 stores and buildings, a main street, a factory district, a large residential and slum area as well. And Main Street was 300 yards long, which is three whole city blocks. It really doesn't surprise you that this film didn't make its money back on its initial release. Yeah! I feel no. as though like they, they they absolutely bottomed out when it came to their budget. You know what I mean? <laughs> to the point where they were just like, "I need to borrow, mum, mum, can I borrow a tenner?" 
Well, I've, yeah, I know, I know I've gone over budget again. Yeah, Frank got... Capra's mum just doesn't answer his calls anymore. Yeah, yeah, Frank Capra's mum just kind of like, I, I, don't, I literally don't have any cash. I can't just imagine it now. Let me know. Uh, last one. Mm-hmm. Director Frank Capra estimated the film will be shot within 90 days. It turned out to be right. And because of that, the whole cast and crew threw a party to celebrate. Nice. And I think that's just a little... Yeah, nice like thing. getting things done on time or, in fact, earlier and under budget, like your crew will always love you for that. You it's, know? it's bloody unheard of. <laughs> You just, so, you just so like, yeah. You just got to plan and plan and plan and plan yeah. and plan. You know. And then when you've planned, plan again. Yeah, like coming back to Hitchcock again. He he made all his creative decisions before any cameras started rolling. So you've just got to make sure that you, you've got to be cognizant that you're you don't want to be wasting other people's time. You know. Yeah, that's so. I think that's the thing. You know, it's time is money, especially in the in the film industry. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Anyway, that's uh, that's <clears> me. That's all my that's all my facts for this one. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for those, Phil. I really like them. Now, it's not a spoiler to say that this film hinges on a man who nearly commits suicide due to crippling financial problems. Now, according to Money Saving Expert, over 420,000 people in problem debt considered taking their own life in England last year, with more than 100,000 people in debt actually attempting suicide. So people in problem debt are three times more likely to have considered suicide than people not in that kind of debt. So I spoke to someone who deals with people in this kind of situation all the time. Let's have a listen. Hi, everyone. My name is Debbie Walters and I am the Debt Centre Manager for Christians Against Poverty based in Sale. Debbie, it is such a joy to have you on. Thank you so much. And listeners, you can't see it, but... Debbie looks super Christmassy today. It's really quite impressive, you know. Debbie, just quickly, can you tell us about CAP? Yeah, so CAP is an award-winning charity that helps people who are struggling with unmanageable debt to become debt-free, so to help us help you on the road to debt freedom. So at CAP, it's been going over 25 years, started by John Kirkby, who himself was in debt and someone gave him a helping hand. Someone gave him £10 mm-hmm. and he then went out and started helping other people. And that's oh, wow. how Christians Against Poverty was started all those um, all those years ago. So at CAP at the moment, we do life skills. We have a job club. We have CAP money and debt help, which is what I do. Um, Can you tell us more about the debt help, what you do specifically? Yeah, so the debt help, we have a free counselling advice service um, based currently at the Life Centre in Sale, Mm -hmm. Manchester. And you would call our 0800 number. We have a free phone number that you would call and they'd book you an appointment. And pre-corona, I would actually come to your house with a befriender, so a support worker. We'd have a cup of tea and you'd tell me all about your debt and I would take away all your paperwork and send it to head office and we'd sort it out. But now, Mm -hmm. because of corona, I do it on the phone or we can do like Google Meet. So that's what we do. We come and we get your paperwork. We hear all about you, what you're going through, and then we figure out the best way to help you. We would send your paperwork to head office. You would then create a budget and a financial statement. So you would be able to see what's coming in, what's going out, what you have left. You can stick that on your fridge. It makes it really simple (laughs) for you to understand what you need to do. If you've got bills that you can't that you're struggling to pay then you could send that money set it up in a cap plan where the head office in cap they would then distribute that money to your creditors so we can pay things on your behalf and then we just get you on the road to debt freedom so there's many routes out of debt so you could for instance maybe get put on a repayment plan 
if when they do your budget it's sustainable you've got more than enough money because some people have the money they just don't know how to budget yeah so if you've got a sustainable budget you could go on a repayment plan if you haven't then if your debt is under twenty thousand, you could get a debt relief order which we call a dro and that's only a 90 pound fee if you haven't got the money we can source that for you so that's not really a problem and then that can be done in a short, relatively short space of time and then you would become debt free and then you start from scratch. Or maybe it's bankruptcy. Maybe you've got like over £20,000 so you might need to have a bankruptcy. We can also sort that out for you. So everything that we do, the whole service is free. The only time you would pay is the fees for the actual service which is like administrative fees. Cap don't make any money from what you do. That is fantastic. One of the things I love so much about Cap is that somebody explained it to me like you kind of stand in the gap between people and their creditors you know because it yes. can get it can get really quite intimidating for people can't it yeah definitely being in debt it's like being in a in a pit you're trying to pull yourself out but you can't because every time you think oh i've got a grip here another bill comes in it whacks you and you think oh what do i do how can i get out of this and also it's what it makes you feel about yourself and the things that people will be saying or you think people look down on you because you're in this situation but I just want to assure people that there's millions millions of people who are struggling with debt and the pandemic has not helped that yeah. also be encouraged that I've seen people go debt free in this pandemic as well yeah. so it is possible it's wonderful I think one of the things I wanted to say was that you don't have to be in complete dire straits either to get no. um, debt uh, caps help because they, they run a cap money course where they help you manage your, your money I did one just before I got married and it really helped me to sort of budget and move put my money in such a way that I actually got out of my overdraft which I'd been in for, for 10 years you know and Amazing. that has a even though it seems like a small thing you're still you, you look fine on the outside it yeah. really helps psychologically just to know that you're not you're not starting from less than zero at every payday you know yeah definitely that is fantastic listen debbie thank you so much we really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us oh it's my pleasure thanks for having me so if you or someone you know needs help visit capuk.org as well as their debt counseling services they also offer courses including the cap money course they sounds they sound they sound like really really useful obviously. they are quite simply a great bunch of lads you know <laughs> what <laughs> some of my friends have worked from over the years and um they kind of they sort of they sort of stand in the gap between you and the and your creditors you know so yeah. they deal with all those people from now on and they help it, you sort of budget just, and help just thinking about it. them being a great bunch of lads. even the even the women they're yeah. all a great bunch of lads. Absolutely. <laughs> so oh, that's, that's good, man. I so like check that. them out at capuk.org. Now it is time for <gasps> Finding the Faith in the Film. Da, 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 da. La. Nice, nice. <clears throat> little bit of extra flourish. <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes <clears throat> you've got to mix it up a bit. You know, add a bit of, add a bit of spice. Yeah. Now, there are many reasons why this film is so popular. Not least of which being that a clerical error can meant this film was rights-free to show on TV for decades. But... Yeah, nice one, lads. <laughs> yeah. But one thing I really liked about this film is that it treads a fine line between the secular and the spiritual. It doesn't bash its audience over the head with spirituality, but at the same time, it's not one of those films that talks about the true meaning of Christmas without actually mentioning Christ. Yeah. If in sort of like church households up and down the land, you sort of hear it see like aggressive eye rolling whenever you see that in some kind of Christmas special. <laughs> the first thing that jumped out to me was it actually starts off with people in different houses all praying for George Bailey. 
Now, this is a specific type of prayer called intercessory prayer. Have you ever heard of that? That is very new to me. (laughs) I've never heard of that before. Awesome. Literally, all intercessory prayer means is just praying for someone else. Oh, right. Well, I've heard of that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You just didn't know I had a specific name. It's the idea of interceding for someone, stepping into the gap for someone. Instead of prayer just being, God, please help me with this. God, help me with such and such. It's about praying for somebody else that needs it, you know? It's one of the sort of key things to prove that your your faith isn't just like cupboard love, you know? It's not just like, well, Lord, you did good things for me, so I'm going to worship you. <laughs> you scratch my back, I'll scratch your Yeah, <laughs> which... You know, which, we'll sort each other out. Yeah, like, if you look in the Old Testament, character of uh, Jacob, the one who becomes Israel, who basically says, okay, Lord, so if you look after me and make sure I prosper and, you know, save me from all my enemies, then, you know... Uh, you can be my god and I'll worship you or something like that. How does that sound? You know, that is that is basically how the conversation goes, that's, you know? That's, that, that sounds a little sounds a little one-sided, not going to say, not going to yeah, lie, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I do not know what God got out of that. So there's a bit from um, from St. Paul uh, when he's talking to Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving to be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, a lot of times what that's meant is praying for people in authority, praying for governments and stuff like that. And this always sticks in my throat a little bit because Christians have been so very much of the and I just pray for the government lords and I pray that they make the right choices and, and that you'll support and guide them and the thing I've had to get my head round is that praying for somebody doesn't mean endorsing um, yeah, somebody, I see what you mean, yeah. You know, because you might have figured this out is that I'm a Christian, but I'm not very good at it. The, <laughs> I don't know about that. The, the, I mean, well, that being said, though, like, I, I, my frame of reference is, you know, I don't believe in God. So, yeah. like, you know, this, so, I'm, I'm maybe probably the wrong person to ask. But. So, like, half the time, I want to be like, Lord, get him. You know? It's like, okay, Lord, I've just got one thing to ask you. Just don't get in my way when I go over there with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me do this one thing, please. Please, God. Yeah. I mean, you've basically <laughs> summed up Act Two of Macbeth there, you know. So <laughs> I was gonna say it's, it did seem familiar when you say that. Actually. But this idea of praying for people, not just for people who you love and care about, but people yeah. who are more distant, people who are like a friend of a friend, especially during this time, we've had so many prayer requests, and it's you cannot sometimes get a little bit complacent. But it's something I'm I'm working on to make sure that I'm always praying for people who who aren't immediately in my sphere of, of reference, because when it is people mm. who you love you'd want others to take it seriously do you know what i mean yeah it's you know i imagine you, you would like to wish well onto others yeah just a person you know like to sort of put it in a in an atheist context if the worst thing in the world is happening to you you want other people who aren't directly affected by it to care don't you naturally so it's just trying to make sure that you're you're also sort of caring for those people as well yeah you, you, know? you want to you don't want to end up being like a, a hypocrite almost you know so. exactly so the next thing I wanted to touch on briefly was the history of Christmas. A lot of people stress out about the secularization of Christmas, but let's consider for a moment that much of what we use to celebrate Christmas has little or nothing to do with Christ itself. So we get mistletoe comes from the Druids, Christmas trees come from the pagans, and Christmas Day itself, December 25th, was chosen because it's the day for Saturnalia, which is the day that Romans celebrated the winter solstice. Flipping heck. Yeah. So <laughs> we... It sounds like a big old mishmash. <laughs> exactly. Well, what it, the reason you do this is for the Roman Empire to 
basically of trying to convert everyone from paganism as the state religion to Christianity. You mm. need to kind of you, you need to kind of make things as easy for people as possible. So if you say yes, we still get to do this, but it's Christmas now, not Saturnalia. So, we don't. I don't so, mind so, that too much. You know what so, I mean? So, so you're telling me that modern day Christmas is the is the outcome of clever politics. I'm telling you that sort of that modern day Christmas is a PR miracle. Let's put it that way, you know. That, that's what it's I was going to say it sounds like it sounds like spin. Well, that's <laughs> Which like, is hilarious. Here's, here's the mental thing, right? We want you to love God and Within reason, we'll do what we need to do to make that easier for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely within (laughs) reason. If you think about it, like, the Puritans put up as many roadblocks to loving God as possible, you know? It's like, well, if you really love God, you've got to do this and this and this and that, you know? I I feel like there's... I think that's one one of the things that actually sort of turns me off from religion quite a lot, is that there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you gotta do, man. Mm. Like you know, like a lot of stuff that just it doesn't always come naturally to you as a, as a, like like a human being. And if yeah. and if there's gonna be like believing in God, but like hard mode, hard like, mode, bloody hell! <laughs> like I don't like that's it's already it's already hard enough as it is as it is for me. Like anyway, I'm just not gonna I am so like I, I'm not gonna lie. Like sometimes being a Christian can be really hard. Nobody hides that fact, you know. Yeah, but. Let's not make it any more difficult than it already is. I guess well, that's, that, that's, is one. I think that's kind of my, my, my thought process on it. I just mm. think, like, I mean, I'm obviously of the belief that everybody should have whatever beliefs that they want to hold, as long as it's not harming someone else. Yeah. But at the same time, like, my goodness, like, you, you, surely you want something in life to be a little bit easy. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, just, and you know what the grief. thing is? It's it's like making things uh, contextually easier for people. There's one there's one sort of passage in, I think, Acts, I can't remember where, where St. Paul, he goes to this one city, right? And these mm. these pagans, you know, they, like sort of worshipping all the different Roman gods and the rest of it, they literally have a statue for the unknown god, right? So it's like we want to uh-huh. make sure we want to make sure we've covered all our bases. We want to make sure that we we're not upsetting any gods that we haven't mentioned, you know? That's and so great. So That's what what so what Paul does is he says, "Okay, let me tell you about this unknown god." So this unknown god is called is a guy called Jesus, right? And he basically takes their cultural concept of a god that they don't know about and uses it to sort of preach a gospel message, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, that's, you know, that's quite good. That's quite. I quite like the fact that it's just sort of like placeholder god. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just just sort of just like um yeah. So yeah. you know that god you believe in. It's him, but 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 it's also that guy's god. Um, yeah, and, and it's his guy's god too. Um, so <clears throat> just all your gods, just yeah, all, yeah, all they're yeah. all they're all one. There you go. So my point is, and I realise I've been quite circular about this, is that we can't really complain that Christmas has come to mean something else to non-Christians when we appropriated so much stuff ourselves. It seems to be a, a a Western sort of like tradition in itself. Yeah. <laughs> to just appropriate and, other people's stuff. And and not only is the date wrong. But so is the year. Most oh, <laughs> estimates think that Jesus was born between 6 and 4 BC. So that actually puts us in the year 2024 or 2026. <laughs> and that's that's okay because, I mean, if you think about it, the Queen has a real birthday and an official birthday. So yeah, sod it, why not? It seems entirely reasonable that Jesus would have two birthdays as well, you know? Yeah, you know, you know what? 
Why not? December twenty-fifth and let's say April third. You know, if if uh, if you believe what Isaac Newton came. Well, I've decided I'm going to age backwards. So. <laughs> and I think you've been doing that really well. And no, I to really be honest, actually, that. I look in the mirror and I just go, you know what? I haven't actually changed a lot, and I'm starting to get a bit worried. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what? What's my dad not been telling me? <laughs> now, Phil, how do yes. you make God laugh? How do I make God laugh? I mean, aside, <laughs> I'm having to assume a lot of things here. Realize, but, um, so <laughs> I'll put you out of your misery. Who knows? Who knows? The joke, the joke goes, how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> okay, yeah, I get Because that. in this film, we've got George Bailey, who's always saying, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to see the world, and I'm going to do this. And at every turn, he gets constantly pulled back. It's... God's just there, just like, <laughs> that's cute. Yeah. It's almost like Jonah and the whale in reverse. Do you know that story? Vaguely. Vaguely, okay. Yeah, Vaguely. so basically, Jonah is is told to sort of go off to a different country and preach to those people. And Jonah's like, uh, no, those guys are crazy. <laughs> I'm not doing it. So he tries to get away. He's on a boat. There's a there's a storm. The uh, he, he gets sort of thrown overboard and he gets swallowed by a big fish, you know? Which is um, a whale. A whale, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that at that point he, that's where he sort of like repents he's like okay god we'll go see those guys you know so just, i feel like <laughs> to be fair if i'd gotten swallowed by a whale i'd be like you know what actually i think that other guy had a point yeah I've, I've, i'm just yeah. gonna do it exactly just, what he says i'll just do what he said i'm really sorry i, I don't need please, that in my life please don't make me be swallowed by other large mammals again it's you just know there, like yep got eaten by a whale gotta say <laughs> rubbish hated it <laughs> So, George Bailey is always trying to get away, and God constantly keeps bringing him back, you know? Oh, I felt so sorry for him the whole way through. Absolutely. But the thing is, it's God's plan to keep him in Bedford Falls, and this is one of those instances where we see what would happen if he'd left, if there was no George Bailey, you know? He needed to be there, not just for himself, but for all those people that, that needed him to be there. Not only that, when God makes a plan for you, the first time you hear it, you'd often be like, no, thank you. No, I don't want that. But when you actually get into it, it's like, oh, this is this is okay. This is kind of wonderful. This you is know? kind of filling, fulfilling, you know. Like... And if you think about that, if you if you look at where your life is right now, I'm going to make an assumption for you and say that you your life is pretty good right now, isn't it? I, I, it could suck a lot more. I yeah, say. Like, exactly. I quite enjoy my life. But if you gave the exact specific circumstances to teenage Phil, he'd probably turn his nose up at it, wouldn't he? Well, I've got to say, like, and I was, I think I said, I think I, I texted you just after I was uh, after I watched this couple of days ago and I, and I was saying like like you know and not to get too personal but it does have a point the amount of times that I felt so low in my yeah. life and the amount of times where I felt like I you know what would it be like if I just didn't exist or what would it be like if I just took away my own existence and you, when you watch a film like this you you really realize the worth that you have just in those tiny increments in those small moments that time that you help somebody with the smallest thing could mean the biggest thing to them and yeah and it's it's one of those things that you've got to it's hard to listen to reason when you're in that situation but i'm really glad i did yeah if that makes sense and and one thing i do want to say just whilst we're on the topic of this is that if you've ever felt that way anybody who's listening right now there is always a reason to carry on and there is always someone there who will be able to help you you might not know them but Mm. there will be someone or something that can get you out of it and you should never ever give up because there's always light at the end of the tunnel well one of the main points i want to talk about in this is that is the value of human life okay 
There's a phrase that is well known in in church circles. I couldn't find who said it first, but it just goes along the lines of, you have never met a person who didn't matter to Jesus. (laughs) There is is not a a single one. No matter how bad that boss was or how terrible that school bully was to you, they are God's everything. He's nuts about them. And Mm. there's a line in um, Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. The Psalms are a little bit like King David's mixtape. Like (laughs) some of them some of them are incredibly emo you know like oh my gosh everything's terrible i hate my life but they're all straight fire yeah yeah (laughs) and then some of them like oh my god you're amazing you're fantastic you're like he goes up and down like nobody's business but there's there's this one bit i really liked psalm 139 verse 13 16 it's david talking about about god for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb i praise you because i am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful i know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when i was made in the secret place when i was woven together in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be i adore that this idea of of a god that knows everything about you that knows where your life is going to go and you you matter to him this line i am fearfully and wonderfully made the the word fearfully trips people up a little bit because it's like how can you how can you be fearful of god and still love him stuff like that in the in sort of the old hebrew fearfully and respectfully are kind of like synonyms i get you i you always know? did wonder that actually like you, know, you were like when people say are you a god-fearing man yeah and i'm just like why would you be afraid of someone you hold so dear yeah so i mean if you think of it like you fear the police and you respect the police or at least you you probably should respect them a little bit provided they're doing that in the jobs properly you know? well yeah provide provided they're they're, they're a good policeman yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so a different a, that's a different topic there's, there's a, yeah we, we covered that in the blm episode yeah we um, did. you know you you kind of fear them but you also you know if they're decent people you respect them as well yeah so this this the fearfully and respectfully kind of get used together and the idea that you were respectfully made somebody cared about you you were somebody's passion project i think yeah. is, is fascinating you know because again not to uh, I debated about whether to get too personal on this, and and if I if I really don't like it, I'll cut it out in the edit. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought I might take advantage of the fact that none of my family actually listened to this show. Um, <laughs> okay, there is some uh, there is some disagreement, shall we say, as to how planned my conception was. You know, I see. Okay, my. Uh, my uh, my mum says in very no, in no uncertain terms that I was definitely planned, and my dad seems to disagree on that point. And uh, they can both be unreliable narrators uh, when they want to be. Um, <laughs> but if I didn't have a relationship with God, I think that's the kind of thing that would make me question my worth in some way or other. I, I understand that. I understand that from a personal perspective too. You know, you know the, it's a, a, sim, a similar... I've, I've, had, I've had a similar experience. It's um, the idea of, of being uh, a mistake um, or a happy accident or whatever you want to call yeah. it. It uh, hits a little bit more when the two people that had you didn't stay together. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, it makes you think along those lines. But the, the the message I've always had in my brain is that God wanted me. Yeah. Um, God made me because I could go into rooms and I could talk to people that other people couldn't talk to. And that doesn't make me particularly special. I would make an argument that everybody has that thing where they you know where that they yeah. can 
connect with, but it's still true and it's still relevant for me. And that's that's something I've always held on to. That yeah. whether certain people wanted me or not, God wanted me and he brought me into existence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that. the thing is as well, like, yeah. and and I think that's that's true for everyone, really. Like everyone, like I say, I. I I personally wouldn't come from it from a, a religious perspective, but I would say that everybody has... They all have things that are different about them. They all have contributions to make and yeah. abilities and skills and parts of their being that are unique. Absolutely. And that in itself gives us a purpose because yeah. we, we we all have a different role to play in lots of different people's lives. For that reason alone, we all have our purpose. We all have our place. And If nothing else, there is nobody else in the world who could create a God in Film podcast, you know? <laughs> so that is our episode for today, ladies and gentlemen. Now... Thank you so much for listening. Like I say, season two is on its way. We do have a review. Um, oh, do we? We had a, a review that said we were really interesting. Uh, it said, <laughs> Matrix and Dogma were favourites of mine. Great insights by these guys. And the name of the person for that review is Brighton UK. So I've decided to interpret it that the entirety of Brighton all got together <laughs> and said, look, we all think this episode's great. Let's save ourselves. And let's just get one person to write it. So. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm completely on board with that line of thinking. Yeah. Thank you, the entirety of Brighton. <laughs> Thank you, Brighton. We flipping love you. And as soon as this whole COVID nonsense is over, we're going to be back there at the first opportunity. Yeah, well, I'll go to Brighton. You know, well, go to, what called, do we do in Brighton? <laughs> well, there's this thing called Burning the Clocks uh, and around this oh, sort really? of time of year where they have this kind of big parade with all these paper kind of clocks and things that are all like little lanterns. And then they take it to the beach and just set it on fire. And it's awesome you know? say, that so, sounds that sounds kind of dope man yeah, <laughs> should go yeah. Sometime. brighton you love us and we love you in kind okay ladies and gentlemen like all artists we are desperate for validation so please <laughs> send us more reviews tell us what you like tell us what you don't like we don't care we just want to know that you're listening but we will read out the best ones on our show that is all from us phil have you had a good time absolutely and i tell you what despite the fact that this year has been for want of a better phrase a little bit of a write-off yeah just having this to do and be keeping creative and keeping sort of like sharp it's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm looking forward to season two. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, listeners. We hope you have a fantastic time. Bye. Bye. God in Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman. Mixing by Phil, editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh, and our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Waffle editing by Natalie Austin. God in Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review, unless it's a one star, in which case, write down your review in a letter and post it to Santa's workshop in the North Pole, where he will assess your review and determine whether Phil should be put on the naughty list as a result. Merry Christmas, y'all.